From Washington, this is Talking Tax. I'm David Schultz. The market cap for the electric car maker Tesla is, as of this morning, just shy of $700 billion. That means that despite some troubles in the last few months, it's still firmly within the top 10 companies worldwide for market cap. So it can feel a little weird to say that a company this big and successful needs Uncle Sam to encourage consumers to buy their products by offering them tax breaks. But that's what's being talked about on Capitol Hill. Currently, any car maker that has sold fewer than 200,000 electric cars can offer their customers a $7,500 tax credit. Tesla has already well exceeded this cap, and so has GM, while Ford and Toyota are expected to pass 200K really soon. But now some lawmakers on Capitol Hill are debating whether to remove the cap altogether and increase the size of the tax credit, while others say the tax incentive isn't even necessary anymore. West Virginia Democrat Joe Manchin, a crucial vote in the 50-50 Senate, has questioned whether the EV tax credit has outlived its original purpose. Ellen Hughes-Cromwick thinks it hasn't. She's a senior fellow at the think tank Third Way, and before that she was a chief economist at the Obama administration's Commerce Department, and before that she was a chief economist at the Ford Motor Company. She spoke with Bloomberg tax reporter Kaustuv Basu about why the EV tax credit should not only be saved, but even broadened, because she says the EV market is right on the verge of reaching critical mass. We're seeing double-digit growth across all of the major markets at this juncture. And were it not for some supply chain challenges, especially with regard to raw material for cells, but also the semiconductor challenge, were it not for those, I think the growth rate would have been even stronger. Right. So uh, the United States has an EV tax credit. It's uh, $7,500 uh, per vehicle. Is that credit still necessary and how should it be tweaked to make it more useful? There's really no question in my mind uh, when I assess the industry and this transition to EVs that a purchase credit is not only necessary in the U.S., but it's critical. And it's critical for competitive reasons. Our competitors in Europe and also in China have uh, unveiled and continue to have substantial support for their auto industries to transition to EVs. We have been playing defense in terms of our support. And if we want to be competitive and we don't want to lose market share, and we want to make sure that we are able to obtain as many jobs in this new EV industry uh, here domestically going forward, we should be darn well passing uh, an extension of this EV tax credit. You know, we are at a critical juncture right now because, you know, these automakers are now retooling plants. They're um, building new facilities. I'm sure you saw the Ford announcement earlier this year, building three battery cell plants. Uh, they're spending a lot of money to ramp up. But in order to make sure that that ramp up is uh, productive. We got to make sure that the demand is there. 
And so the $7,500 tax credit, which is on the books right now, uh, it has a cap of 200,000 units per automaker. And uh, as you know, Tesla and GM have already hit that cap. So if I'm a GM customer, I do not get a $7,500 credit. If I'm out there shopping and I want to buy a Ford Mach-E, I will get the $7,500 credit. But even Ford is going to be hitting that cap of 200,000 units likely this year. So General Motors, Ford, Toyota, and Stellantis asked Congress in June that the numerical cap at which the EV credit phases out should be lifted and there should be a sunset date instead. Is that a good idea? I think it really is, you know, and that really aligns with the technology advances. We're seeing reductions in battery costs. Now, granted, raw material increases and the volatility of the commodities is an issue in the short run, but over time, those will, those pressures, I think, will get alleviated as we see this, the supply chains uh, expand and grow, as well as new battery chemistry technologies coming down the pipe that, you know, a five-year extension makes a lot of sense. You worked for the Ford Motor Company previously. Ford is just beginning deliveries of the 150 Lightning, an all-electric pickup truck. Now, that is America's best-selling pickup truck, the Ford F-150. How much of a game-changer is this uh, Ford 150 Lightning going to be, you think? I think it is a a game-changer. And let's look at the data. I mean, they set out to produce, I don't know, 10, 20, 30,000 units, and the orders are coming in over 100,000 and, and higher. I don't know what the latest number is, but you know, it's, it's substantial. They're oversubscribed. And that also happened with the Mach-E. They had to stop the orders for the uh, 2022 model. In other words, the response in the market has been substantial. I do want to caution, though, that shouldn't be a reason not to have a tax credit because we're still early days in terms of volume. If we want to get to the bottom of the average cost curve in terms of producing EVs, which are going to benefit this transition, we've got to be able to see these automakers producing EVs at much higher volume. And I know one of the criticisms has been, hey, don't give an EV tax credit to a luxury EV buyer. Well, you know, when you have a new technology, the way that you get to a point where automakers can make affordable EVs is to uh, get them to produce volume, higher volume. And to do that, you start out at the top of the demand curve where prices tend to be higher and the number of units produced tends to be lower. But over time, as they slide down that cost curve and produce more volume, there will be many more EVs at different price points, at more affordable price points going forward. Another part of that, we have to create a used EV market. And the way to produce a used EV market is to get the new EV market rocking. And that tax credit over a five-year period should enable that really solid takeoff phase 
to, uh, you know, to begin. Uh, now, are there any arguments to be made for any portion of an expanded uh, EV tax credit to go towards only U.S. made vehicles? Well, you know, we certainly do want to grow our domestic jobs that are part of this cleaner energy future. We want to have jobs that are at battery cell plants. Uh, so I do see a compelling case for, you know, made in America because we do need to make sure that we don't cede this industry to other, other countries. And part of the reason for that is that the job growths and the job opportunities are substantial. And, uh, you know, when you look across all the types of industries that the U.S. has been competitive in over uh, many years, the auto sector happens to be one that has one of the largest job multipliers, meaning for every job in an assembly facility that's making EVs, there are multiples of other jobs being created in the economy as a result of that assembly job. And part of that is the supply chain and making sure that we have a successful transition and we're able to produce battery cells in the U.S. And I hope in the future battery cell components like cathodes and anodes and also battery cell materials like lithium uh, lithium for the lithium ion battery. Uh, all of that will help in terms of uh, creating even more jobs uh, in, the, in the U.S. Now, are there any other ways to help speed up uh, EV adoption? Uh, some electric vehicles on average cost about $61,000. That, that is pretty steep for the average middle-class family. Yes, it is. And I know that um, as you move more aggressively and actively to EVs, it will save Americans substantial amount of money. I think one research report shows uh, trillions of dollars saved from reduced fueling and maintenance costs over a 30-year period. And over time, as I said, as we fill up plants making EVs, the average cost of producing an EV will go down. When you produce just a few units like the Ford Lightning, or the Mach-E, you know, the average cost of producing it is much, much higher. So filling up the plants will reduce the cost and help these automakers produce vehicles, EVs that are much more affordable. I come back to that basic point, you know, we're not going back to growing gasoline powered vehicles. The peak in gasoline powered vehicle sales believe it or not, was in 2016. For every year since 2016, the number of vehicle sales associated with gasoline-powered engines has been going down. So we're already on the trend. It's just a question of accelerating it. Is there stuff that other countries have done, policies they have pursued to speed up EV adoption that would be useful to look at to maybe implement here? Stu, there are many different uh, avenues to stimulate. In other countries, they have relied on substantial subsidies, purchase subsidies, 
similar to the $7,500 tax credit that we think is incredibly important to extend here in the U.S. Uh, they've relied on subsidies, but also in a carrot stick model, they have higher regulatory standards for emissions. And here in the U.S., our EPA, Environmental Protection Agency, is uh, undertaking rules to enhance the fuel economy standards for our um, vehicles, and that will help stimulate more production of electric vehicles here in the U.S. so that the automakers are required in order to meet those fuel economy standards to produce more uh, zero emission vehicles. So that's happening substantially in Europe. Their standards are much more stringent than here in the U.S. So that's forced a lot of automakers to say, gee, I need to get going on this. And why should I try to continue to do research and development of two types of powertrain technologies? Why don't I just consolidate, produce and target a point in time to achieve uh, 100% uh, zero emission vehicle production? And I think a lot of companies have signed up to that. That was Ellen Hughes-Cromwick with the organization Third Way, speaking with Bloomberg Taxes' Kaustu Basu. You can find up-to-the-minute news on the latest tax and accounting developments at our website, news.bloombergtax.com. That website, once again, is news.bloombergtax.com. Today's Talking Tax was produced by myself, David Schultz. Patrick Ambrosio and Jeff Harrington are our editors. Our executive producer is Josh Block. From Washington, I'm David Schultz. Thanks for listening. In a global tax landscape that changes by the day, it's what you don't know that can leave you exposed. At Bloomberg Tax, we provide market-leading intelligence and practical applications to help tax professionals work smarter, faster, and more accurately. Our solutions provide the insights you need for game-changing outcomes. To revolutionize your performance in real time, the difference is Bloomberg Tax. Learn more at pro.bloombergtax.com.